Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products. Just for being a Getting In listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice by going to www.audible.com college. From Slate and Panoply, this is Getting In, a podcast series about the path to college. I'm your host, Julie Lithcott-Hames, and joining me today is Getting In expert Amy Young. Hi, Amy. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Thank you so much for co-hosting while I was out of town. Big shoes to fill, but it was a lot of fun. Well, it's great to have you back and uh, look forward to your help with uh, some of our questions today. Uh, For those listeners who might not remember, Amy is the Director of College Counseling at Avenues, an independent school in New York. Okay, Amy, so it's winter break, a much-deserved break for you and your students. You must be incredibly excited to get at least a couple weeks off. Indeed. It's been a very busy fall, um, and it's been very intense with our first graduating class. Yeah, and it's been intense here on Getting In. We heard some mixed news this past week from our Getting In seniors. It was really tough for me to hear, actually, just knowing these students through the podcast. But I can only imagine it's just 10 times more intense for you since you work so closely with high school students and you're really clear on what their dreams are and what their capabilities are. It must be really hard for you. I think the hardest part is seeing the students' disappointment. Having done this for many years, I've I've become a little bit inured to the disappointment in the sense that I have seen so many very, very strong students not get into the schools that they're hoping to get into just because it is it is such a competitive landscape out there. Um, so you just try to support them. You try to help them understand that they are going to be absolutely fine and that they are going to land at a wonderful place. As I think we've mentioned on previous episodes, this is the first year that Avenues has had a senior class applying to college. Avenues is that young as a school. So, Amy, even though you've done this before on behalf of other kids at other schools, this is your first time around with Avenues. And I know you guys really encourage early applications. I imagine you heard all kinds of news this past week. Paint us a picture from your perspective as their college counselor of how the Avenues senior class is doing. You know, we're we're actually thrilled and blessed and excited that the students overall did incredibly well. And I think, you know, we got we got lots of, you know, quote unquote, big decisions that came through. There were students admitted to Harvard and Yale and Penn and those sorts of things, as well as Bowdoin and Haverford and and, and places that, you know, a lot of our, our parent body were sort of looking to see, can we get students into colleges Um, University of Chicago and the like. But I have to say, the thing that I'm most proud of and the thing that most surprised me, but but I take, as I said, an enormous amount of pride in is the amount of positivity around the process. These couple weeks in December can oftentimes be incredibly devastating in a community because you have a lot of students who are getting in, a lot of students who aren't. And our students did so well overall. And because this grade has been together, and when they were ninth graders, they were the only grade in the school, they were a really tight group of kids. And they supported each other so well and so unconditionally. It is without a doubt the most positive set of of early decisions um, that I've ever experienced. And I think that was really special. And I hope that's something that we're able to make a tradition. You know, Amy, I remember when I interviewed you for my book, 
you said something really beautiful about the role you get to play, have to play, want to play as that buffer, intermediary, uh, go-between, uh, between the kid and the parent. Such a critical role. Students are so fortunate to have you. And while parents may be thinking, hmm, where can avenues get students in to college? You know, which colleges are taking avenues kids? You're thinking, how can I help my students find the right school for them? And so when you say we did so well overall, I know in your mind you've got those big brand name schools that please parents, but you're also picturing the many other colleges your students have gotten into that you have great confidence, maybe a little bit less well known, but really the right fit for that kid. Am I right? It does require certainly a lot of trust building because there were parents at the very beginning of this process who had very particular expectations for their students. And it is that those conversations over time, gently, sometimes a little bit less gently, really encouraging parents and and students to go visit particular schools so they can discover why we think that those would be a great match for their students. And then parents actually listening, right? So we, we can say it, but unless they listen to us and trust us and go to those places and discover them, it's very hard for us to change their mind. But we were able to do some really great work this year and the decisions reflect it. So let me ask, in the spirit of giving students and parents a bit more information than Uh, what exists on those top whatever lists, throw out the names of maybe two or three schools that some of your students have gotten into this fall and why you think that's a a wonderful school and a school that some of our our listeners ought to think think a little bit more about, maybe get some more information about. Sure. I think the first one that comes to mind is we had an early decision candidate at Wheaton College in Massachusetts, and this was the absolute perfect choice for this student. He really connected with, they have a what's called a connections academic program where you're doing a lot of interdisciplinary work and you're able to sort of fit together your own academic program. He went there and he was really able to resonate with that community. And when he received his acceptance, he literally could not stop smiling and everyone was celebrating with him. And it was a really wonderful moment. We've had some students who are very excited about Elon. In particular, their school of communications is exceptional. And we do have some students who have done some interesting work with communications and social entrepreneurship within that. And they have a wonderful program. And you can't you can't go to Elon and not be impressed with the school. In fact, there's this and if you go to Elon, you will cry at the video that they show you. It's amazing. And the students actually put it together. It's better than any video I've seen. Um, and it just it is a given that everyone will cry. Um, it's just so beautiful. So go to Elon just to see the movie. Now, where is Elon? Let me interrupt you because I bet a lot of listeners don't know. Sure. Elon is in North Carolina, not that far from Raleigh-Durham. So it's it's a place where if you're going and, and seeing some of the schools around there, if you're seeing Duke or UNC or Davidson, it's very easy to fit in an Elon visit. So those are, those are the types of, of places that, that kids who are willing and have the courage to own this process and say, I am going to find the best place for me and figure out exactly what is most important for their particular search, they find some really wonderful institutions. That's fantastic. Is Elon on the list of colleges that change lives? It should be. I most, <laughs> It most likely is. Um, I think I've seen it on that list. For listeners who don't know, Colleges That Change Lives is a list of 40 schools about which alumni uniformly say, this place changed my life. It's The, the, the list is the result of research by Lauren Pope, who used to be the um, an education writer for the New York Times many years ago. He's now passed away, but his work lives on. 
So our producer has been doing a little behind-the-scenes work as you and I have been having this conversation, and I think it is the case that Elon uh, has been on the Colleges That Change Lives list, isn't on the current list of 40, but as with so many schools that aren't in our collective consciousness because they don't have the biggest brand names, they offer a fantastic undergraduate education and really deserve a close look. All right, let's turn from the positives, all that great news coming out of the Avenue senior class this past week. What about students who were deferred or outright rejected? What specific strategies do you suggest for those students? If you are denied, you get a big hug, and we talk about moving on, and you get ready to submit those regular applications, which all of our students were ready to do. If you get deferred and you are still very committed to and interested in one particular early school, you can move into the regular round and send an update in January, early February, just sort of letting an admission office know if there are any updates you want to make to your application, if you have started any additional activities, if you have moved forward in some compelling way in the activities that you were already doing. Sometimes it's also helpful to reiterate, particularly if it was an early decision application uh, that you were deferred in, let them know that yes this college still remains your first choice now you have to be you have to be kind of strategic about that you know if it's a, if it's a school that has deferred everyone then it might not be worth your while to recommit to that school. You might want to think about a second, a, a different school on your list to commit to. Um, and obviously, you can only send one letter in the regular round committing yourself to attend an institution. So those those are some of the things that you can do. And those are those are things that are basically adding and enhancing your application. And those are things you only want to do once, by the way. You only want to send one update letter. You only want to send one email recommitting yourself to a school. It's not about quantity. It's about the quality of what you send. All right. Thanks. And as Jordana said in the last episode, you're rolling forward. It makes a whole lot of sense to plow your efforts and energy into the opportunities that are still in front of you. Okay, why don't we turn to some listener questions? Uh, We've recently received a couple of emails about ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and the role that that disorder, disability, might play in the life of a kid and how it might be relevant for college admission. Here's one from a parent in Portland. My child has ADHD and a learning disability and is currently on a 504 plan at school. Can you please describe how this affects the college admissions process and how admissions officers view students with learning differences? How much information should we disclose in applications? What resources are available at the college level for students with learning differences? And a second one from a dad in Ohio illustrates in more detail what his son is up against. My son is very smart according to standardized testing, receiving a 36 on his ACT when he was 14 but has erratic grades due to ADHD. He has a diverse mix of advanced placement classes and honors classes with a range of grades from an A in calculus to an F in physics, depending on the grading policy of the particular teacher for late and missing assignments. He will be able to pass all of the AP exams easily, but may fail the classes themselves. He is usually on academic probation due to missing assignments, and the teachers can't figure out why one of the smartest kids is getting some of the worst grades. What is the best way to approach college for a smart kid with erratic grades due to ADHD? And what are good strategies for working with a college to develop a realistic plan for a student who will need some care and attention but has good promise? So, Amy, ADHD, what tips do you have for families dealing with ADHD? 
as they approach the college admissions process? In terms of looking at particular schools, I think it is absolutely imperative that families ask real questions about learning support at different institutions. That is not something that you want to hide because you don't want your student ending up at a school where they can't get the support that they need. The vast majority of schools will have, all schools will have some sort of learning accommodation available for students with learning differences. The question is, what does your student need and will that college offer exactly what your student needs? With regard to admissions itself, The general rule of thumb is you should disclose ADHD or other learning differences, whether it's dyslexia or could be any number of things, if the story will help a college admission officer interpret your student's record. So one of the things that we often say, if you have a student who has been perhaps diagnosed late with a learning difference, that sometimes once they receive that diagnosis, there might be an upward trend in their transcript. Say they're diagnosed at the end of sophomore year. They start working with a learning specialist. They start developing some strategies, um, or they start working with a doctor and start developing some strategies there for them to do better. And then that is what can explain an upward trend in a student's grades. And that is something that should absolutely be shared, and colleges will see that and understand that, and it can positively influence their decision. I think what what colleges are going to be wondering is, can this student succeed on this campus, right? So this is not just about getting a student admitted to a college, but college admission officers are genuinely asking themselves, are we admitting students who can succeed? So you want to be as open as you can be in these particular cases, because because everyone wants that student to succeed when they get on a particular campus. For the student who is dealing with grade ranges from everything from A to F and has a perfect ACT score, there will be many, many colleges who will be very, very interested in his raw intelligence and bringing that raw intelligence to their campus. The question they will be asking is, has this student developed the strategies to succeed on his or her own once that student gets to campus. Will that student be able to self-advocate? It's one thing for the learning resources to be available. If a student is not going to take advantage of them or not reach out for them, that would be a topic of concern. Similarly, if a student might be a very strong test taker, some of the overseas options might be a better option for them uh, because transcripts don't necessarily go to those institutions. Parents then at that point have to ask themselves, well, is my student, does my student have enough coping skills and strategizing skills to succeed if they were to go that far away? Yeah, you know, as a former college freshman dean, I've had a lot of experience with this particular side of the question, which is, okay, so the kid is actually on the campus and they've got a particular set of challenges, um, learning differences. And as you put it, do they have the strategies to succeed on their own? Taking advantage of whatever the school can offer, of course, not go it alone, but do they have that critical skill of self-advocacy, as you just articulated, Amy? Or are they accustomed to a third party, a mom or dad, being there to be the one to make sure the resources are obtained to remind them constantly? College is sort of where the rubber meets the road. If you as a parent are thinking, sure, my kid can do it as long as I'm the one keeping track of his exam schedule or his homework schedule or his quiz schedule or um, et cetera, I as as you know parent to parent here i want to encourage you to think 
about the long-term strategy there. And I speak from a place of knowing. I've, I've got a child who contends with this issue as well. So I'm, I'm saying this not only as a former dean, but as a mom who's envisioning her own kid out in the world one day, knowing, uh, you know, he's got to be able to do for himself. And what he's able to do for himself may not be what the next kid is able to do, but it is more important that he do it, whatever he is capable of, rather than to count on me to be there to always kind of pretty much do the doing for him. All right. uh, We've got another question. Let's see. It's a voicemail from a mom in Tennessee. Hi. My name is Melissa from Chattanooga, Tennessee. My daughter is a junior who's planning to take the SAT in the new year. Um, I was wondering if she should plan to take it in January as the redesigned SAT will be starting in March of 2016. Thank you very much. Amy. Share your wisdom with us here. I got to tell you, I've got a junior in high school too, and I don't think in our family we know the answer to this question. So, what what do you know about the new SAT, and how different is it from the current one? And should a high school junior wait until March? So, this is a big question, and this caused uh, lots of conversation among college counselors in New York City in terms of what to recommend and what to do. And for those of you who haven't been following the redesign of the SAT. The SAT is being released in March with a redesign that makes it much more similar to the ACT. So in the past, those two tests have been different in terms of content, different in terms of structure, different in terms of how they are scored. And from now going forward, they will be much more similar. So the last chance for students to take the old SAT uh, is January. I can share with you what we have recommended for students at Avenues, which is basically if you are going to prep for this test, which every student basically is, um, and it, it's it's unwise to go in it with, without some kind of prep. And how you define prep can be extensive or it can be, it can be fairly narrow or limited. Um, but I find that it is unusual for students in their junior year to get their highest score on a December or a January SAT. Students who are able to do that are typically extraordinarily bright and typically uh, don't need very much prep. Students who do need more prep and do need the benefit of taking the test multiple times in order to reach their highest score are not able to reach that score in January. So the logic here is if you are going to need to prep for this test and if you are likely going to need to take it multiple times, you should wait and prep for one version of the SAT rather than two. You should wait and go ahead and take that SAT in March and then take it again in either May or June or possibly September if you need to uh, and give yourself some more time for prep. Now, what we have encouraged Avenue students to do is to go ahead and go all in on the ACT. Given that the two tests are going to be so similar, everyone knows what the ACT looks like. Everyone knows how to prep for it. And you may as well go with the known quantity rather than the unknown quantity. So we have strongly encouraged our students to plan to take uh, their ACTs, our juniors, Uh, for the juniors to take their ACTs in April for the first time. This is also overwhelming. It's overwhelming for me to listen to you, and I'm sure many of our listeners are going like, oh, my goodness. Yes, see, this all just easily rolls right off your tongue because this is what you do for a living. You counsel kids. But for those of us who are just raising a kid or two, this is, oh, it's so 
much stuff. And you can't help but feel that we're all just trying to game the system. You know, I had this hunch that, what the heck? Why not take that new SAT in March? It's brand new, and you're not up against a whole slew of people who are test prepped up the wazoo for it, a whole system designed to ensure, you know, the highest possible grades. You know, if you just do all that prep, uh, highest possible scores. I don't know. There's something to me that feels pure. Somehow the March SAT, because it's a brand new, it feels like it's pure like the driven snow and it'll soon be trampled upon after March. So take it in March (laughs) and uh, and take it with a set of people who who, like you, have never had the chance to take it before. That's me on my SAT rant. All right, Amy, thanks so much for being with me today. Your wisdom, your humor, your perspective are so, so welcome. Thanks really for making the time. I appreciate it. Thank you, Julie. And thanks to our listeners for your questions. We love hearing from you, and there are so many ways you can reach us now. We are newly on Twitter. Our handle is at gettinginpod. That's all one word, gettinginpod. You can send an email or voice memo to our email address. That's getting in at slate.com. And there's always our hotline where you can leave a voicemail. That number is 929-999-4353. And please leave us a comment on iTunes. It helps other people discover our show. Getting In is a production of Slate and Panoply Media. Michelle Siegel is our producer. Production help from Barry Finkel. Our executive producer is Laura Mayer. And Panoply's chief content officer is Andy Bowers. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Julie Lifcott-Hames. And remember, it's not just about getting into some school on everybody's list. It's about finding the right fit for you. Getting In is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible has more than 180,000 audiobooks. You can download them and access them on a bunch of different devices, on iPhones, Android, Kindle, or pretty much any other MP3 player. One book you might try out from Audible is Vanessa and Her Sister by Priya Parmar. Set in 1905 London, the novel offers an intimate glimpse into the lives of painter Vanessa Bell, her sister Virginia Woolf, and the circle of artists and intellectuals around them. If you want to listen to Vanessa and Her Sister or many other books, Audible has it. With more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word products, you'll find what you're looking for. Get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com college. That's A-U-D-I-B-L-E dot com slash college. And use the promo code COLLEGE.